Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to As a Woman, Episode 70, Thyroid and Reproduction. In this episode, I'm talking all about your thyroid gland, why it's important, and how abnormalities can impact miscarriage, infertility, and pregnancy outcome. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition, while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hi, friends. Welcome back. Today, we are talking about your thyroid gland and how it impacts reproduction. In full transparency, I like the thyroid a lot. I did some research on it in fellowship, wrote a book chapter, have given grand rounds. This topic I find really fascinating. And it's semi-controversial in our field. People may feel very different than I do about it. In fact, the Endocrine Society and ASRM, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, have slightly different recommendations. What is important is at least understanding how the thyroid functions, understanding how that impacts reproduction, and understanding if thyroid evaluation and treatment is right for you. So I'm going to just dive on in here and we're going to start with understanding some of the terminology we use in the thyroid gland. So there's a lot of little acronyms and the easiest way for me to think about this is to really think about what these hormones are doing. So in its simplest form, you have the pituitary gland. The pituitary gland secretes out TSH. TSH is thyroid stimulating hormone, and it's the most common hormone that we check when it comes to the thyroid. And that is because TSH comes from the brain to stimulate the thyroid. I love when hormones are named after their job. It makes life so much easier. So this is a well-named hormone. It stimulates the thyroid gland, stimulates it. So it is going to stimulate the thyroid gland to make thyroid hormone. The thyroid gland then makes two different types of thyroid hormone, T3 and T4, both which impact your organs and circulate in your blood. Now, T3 and T4 also impact the brain. Your brain needs thyroid hormone to function. So if the brain senses you have enough T3 and T4, It stimulates the thyroid gland with TSH in a normal way, saying, hey, you're doing great. Keep on producing. However, if your brain senses that it's not getting enough thyroid hormone, now T3 and T4 are low, your brain craves more, it is going to send out an increase in TSH in order to stimulate the thyroid gland to make more thyroid hormone. And this confuses a lot of people, and I get it. But essentially, when you are hypothyroid, that means low thyroid hormones, low T3 and T4, your thyroid gland is not making enough. You can measure this by checking a TSH and it will be high. And it will be high because the brain is trying to stimulate your thyroid gland to make more because it is not getting enough. High TSH means 
low circulating thyroid hormones, also known as hypothyroidism. Now, the number one cause of hypothyroidism is actually autoimmune. That means something is attacking the thyroid gland and not allowing it to function properly. These are antibodies. Autoimmune means your body creates antibodies to attack its own glands and organs. And this is called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So if you ever have somebody say, oh, I have Hashimoto's, that means they have autoimmune hypothyroidism. Number one cause of hypothyroidism worldwide, so Hashimoto's is in the U.S. and developed countries, worldwide, it's iodine deficiency. So that's not a problem for us here. Iodine is supplemented in foods, in salts, and in vitamins. But worldwide, iodine deficiency causes hypothyroidism. And that's because the thyroid gland actually has to uptake thyroid in order to make T3 and T4. So that little step is crucial. So if you don't get enough iodine, you are not going to get enough. And the symptoms of hypothyroidism are the same regardless of the etiology. And so some of these symptoms include mental slowness or poor memory, decreased energy, slow speech, low pitch voice, water retention or swelling, edema or swelling around the eyes, delayed reflexes, even carpal tunnel syndrome, low body temperature, weight gain, slow metabolism, bradycardia, which is a slow heart rate, dry skin, hair loss. And one thing we also see is menstrual irregularity. So you see period changes when your thyroid is abnormal. And the more abnormal it is, the more irregular your period may become. And this is because TSH comes from the pituitary gland, just like those other reproductive hormones, FSH and LH. And hypothyroidism is usually easily treated. So if you detect it, you can treat it with a synthetic version of T4 called levothyroxine or L-thyroxine. It's the L enantiomer. It's also called Synthroid and Brandos. And you start it based on your weight and you can titrate it to get a normal TSH level. Now on the other end of things is hyperthyroidism. So thinking back to how the brain and the thyroid gland work together, in hyperthyroidism, that means there is too much circulating thyroid hormone, or T4 and T3. And the brain interprets that there's too much. So it actually sends out less TSH, trying to get the thyroid gland to make less thyroid hormone. Now, hyperthyroidism is less common than hypothyroidism. Hypothyroidism is much more prevalent, but most of the cases of hyperthyroidism are due to an autoimmune disease called Graves' disease. This is where you have antibodies that actually attack the TSH receptor. They attach to it and they activate it. And so the thyroid gland starts to make more thyroid hormone because these receptors are activated as if there was more TSH, even though there's not. And so there's not really high TSH, but these antibodies attach into those TSH receptors and trick the thyroid gland to get it to start making lots of thyroid hormone. And if you check TSH, it's actually very low because the brain is interpreting that there's so much T4 and T3. The symptoms of hyperthyroidism include feeling jittery or nervous, insomnia, weight loss, heat intolerance, sweating or having your heart race, diarrhea. You can also get this proptosis, this eye bulging and this lid lag where the top eyelid is droopy. And skin, instead of being dry like it is in hypothyroidism, is actually very warm and very moist. 
Similarly, you also can get period changes. Again, so both hyper and hypo can cause period problems. And hyperthyroidism is usually treated with two different medications, or you'll use one of them. They're both antithyroid medications. One is called methimazole, and it blocks iodine uptake, so you can't make T4 and T3 as much. And the other is called PTU or propothyrouracil. And this also blocks how iodine is processed and it decreases the peripheral conversion of T4 to T3. Regardless of what your doctor chooses, you will be on medication to treat your thyroid disease. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperature starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, but even in the normal person, so your thyroid gland is working just perfectly, the brain is sending out a normal amount of TSH, stimulating the thyroid gland to make T4 and T3, life is grand, you go and get pregnant. Everything suddenly changes. So what happens is you have an increase in estradiol, that's estrogen, and you have an increase in something called thyroid binding globulin. In addition, HCG, the pregnancy hormone, activates the TSH receptor. So you have a decrease of TSH and an increase in T4. What that means is that when you get pregnant, to put it simply, you need more thyroid hormone you actually need about 30% more thyroid hormone than you do when you're not pregnant. 
And that's because these reproductive hormones ramp up and tell the thyroid gland, please make more thyroid hormone, we need more. And we need that thyroid hormone to support the ongoing pregnancy. Because you need more thyroid hormone, we, meaning the doctors, have changed the normal range of what TSH value should be based on if you are not pregnant or pregnant. And there's different ranges in the first trimester of pregnancy when that fetus is dependent upon mom's thyroid gland production than later in pregnancy. So when you are a normal person who's not pregnant walking around earth, you will find that the normal TSH levels are about 0.5 to 4 milliIUs per liter. However, when you get pregnant, the normal range is 0.5 to 2.5 in the first trimester. What that means is that the normal level for you that you're going to get on a lab sheet may not reflect normal for you based on your reproductive status. And this is where we, as doctors, have started to say, what is the difference of you two weeks before you get pregnant and one week after? Suddenly a TSH of four was fine, but now one of 2.6 is bad. So we've started to look at women who are trying to get pregnant, and especially those who are infertile and struggling to get pregnant, in a different position. So to simplify it one more time, just to think about this, you're walking around not pregnant, your thyroid gland is balanced, that great. Now you go and get pregnant. What happens is the placenta does not transfer TSH or T4 or T3 unless your levels are very, very high. So what that means is the early weeks of pregnancy, before the fetal thyroid gland becomes active, which is around probably about 10 weeks, your baby's brain development is completely dependent on mom's T4 and T3. So mom's T4 specifically is impacting that baby's brain. The baby's thyroid gland begins to be able to concentrate iodine and make thyroid hormone around 10 weeks. And at that time, the baby's pituitary gland can make TSH. So simply put, thyroid hormone is most important in mom to impact the baby in the first trimester. And maternal hypothyroidism in pregnancy can cause different maternal and fetal complications. This is interesting because since menstrual irregularities are one of the symptoms of severe thyroid disease, most of the time women with severe hypothyroidism can't get pregnant. So the problem seen maternally with hypothyroidism includes infertility, miscarriage, anemia, gestational hypertension or preeclampsia, postpartum hemorrhage or heavy bleeding after giving birth, and placental abruption where the placenta separates. On the fetal end, we can see preterm birth, low birth weight, respiratory distress, increase in fetal demise or death, abnormal brain development, developmental delay, and a lower IQ. So to me, those things all sound bad for something that can be prevented with a pill. So even if you're euthyroid, meaning your thyroid gland functions normally, you're going to have an increased need in your thyroid hormones as soon as you get pregnant, and your body may or may not be able to adjust to that. Similarly, if you know your body can't adjust because you already have hypothyroidism, you are going to need most likely to increase your dose of your thyroid hormone. That can either be done by just increasing the dose upon a positive pregnancy test under your doctor's discretion, of course, or by serially monitoring your TSH levels and adjusting appropriately. Either one works. Hyperthyroidism, on the other end of the spectrum, it causes abnormalities in pregnancy as well, 
Again, these are more rare because severe hyperthyroidism will have menstrual abnormalities and it's harder to get pregnant if you're not ovulating. But that said, maternally, you can see preeclampsia or high blood pressure and congestive heart failure. And with the fetus, you can see preterm birth, growth restriction, thyroid gland enlargement in the baby, advanced bone age, tachycardia, heart failure in the baby, something called hydrops, where the baby gets very swollen and goes into heart failure and fetal demise. Okay, so hopefully by now I've convinced you that your thyroid gland is important and that it impacts your early pregnancy. What I want to go into quickly, and this is kind of dense science stuff, but I think it's important, is thinking about the reproductive outcomes and what studies have shown us about outcomes when you have abnormal thyroid parameters. After that, I'm going to talk a little bit about screening and treatment so you can see where I come from. Of course, this is my approach to medicine, and not every doctor may feel this way, but you need to find somebody who's going to break it down for you. Okay, scientific study time. There was a study published by Crassus in Fertility and Sterility in 2000, which was a review looking at menstrual irregularity and regularity in thyroid disease. Take-home message here is that of patients with hypothyroidism, Around 24% of them had menstrual abnormalities, and those who were hyperthyroid, 21% of them had menstrual abnormalities. The most common in both was oligomenorrhea, which means irregular periods. So if you didn't believe me that thyroid disease causes irregular periods, it does. You probably weren't really arguing with me on that one, but I think another important take of that study is that not everybody who has abnormal thyroid hormones has menstrual irregularities. So if we're only screening people who have irregular periods, then we're missing three quarters of women who had thyroid disease that did not have menstrual abnormalities. So that's very important as well. I'm actually most interested in some of the pregnancy loss and the infertility treatment IVF outcome data. So let's talk about pregnancy loss first. There was a study published in 2006 in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism by Negro, and this study was looking at hypothyroidism. So it took women who had thyroid antibodies, so TPO is thyroid peroxidase antibodies, one of the antibodies positive in Hashimoto syndrome, and randomized them to getting treatment with levothyroxine or T4 or not. And what they saw is that in the thyroid antibody positive but untreated group, there was a significantly higher rate of miscarriage and preterm birth than there was in the treated group. The treated group was statistically similar to the negative antibody group. So in this study, the miscarriage rate in the untreated antibody positive group was 13.8% compared to around 2 to 3% in the treated or negative group. And the preterm birth rate was 24% in the untreated group versus 7 to 8% in the treated or negative group. So this study of 984 women showed that At least in this situation, women who had untreated TPO antibodies had poor pregnancy outcomes and specifically pregnancy loss and preterm birth. Same author, same journal, different year, 2010, there was a study of women who were negative for TPO antibody and those who had abnormal thyroid stimulating hormone levels. So in the presence of a negative thyroid peroxidase antibody, so you're not having autoimmune thyroid disease. This study evaluated over 4,000 women if you had subclinical hypothyroidism. So that means that your TSH is on the high end of the normal range. In this study, it was between 2.5 to 5. You had a higher rate of pregnancy loss than women who had a 
low TSH between 0.5 to 2.5. So those with subclinical hypothyroidism had a pregnancy loss rate of 6% versus 3.5% for those who had a TSH less than 2.5. Even in the setting, none of these women had thyroid antibodies. So this data makes us concerned that either the presence of thyroid antibodies, even with normal thyroid hormones, or having subclinical hypothyroidism, even without thyroid autoimmunity, can impact miscarriage and loss rates. Then in 2011, a meta-analysis where they look at multiple different studies and pull them all together, published in the British Medical Journal, or the BMJ, showed that women who had thyroid antibodies had increased rates of pregnancy loss. Specifically, in a meta-analysis, you can pool data and create some odds. And so what this study revealed, or as suggested at least, was that in women with normal thyroid function, so that who were euthyroid, but had thyroid antibodies, the risk of miscarriage was more than three times that of women without antibodies, and the risk of preterm birth was two times as much. And treatment of, also treatment with levothyroxine lowered the rate of miscarriage in women who had these antibodies, so it was beneficial. Now they listed normal limitations of a meta-analysis, that there's heterogeneous studies and that it's hard to pull the data, but that was suggestive that autoimmunity may play a role. And then there was a randomized controlled trial, so our favorite type of trial, called levothyroxine in women with thyroid peroxidase antibodies before conception. This was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2019. And what happened here, this was your classic double-blind placebo-controlled trial to see if levothyroxine treatment would increase live birth rate in euthyroid women who had TPO antibodies and a history of miscarriage or infertility. So that was part of the enrollment criteria. But this was a very big study, had over 19,000 women. It was done in the UK, and they randomized women to either get 50 micrograms daily of levothyroxine or placebo throughout. So one thing, this study did not show any improvement. So the use of levothyroxine in women who were euthyroid but with positive antibodies did not result in higher live birth rates. Huge study, good RCT. Limitations, that their definition of euthyroid went up to a TSH of about 3.5, so it wasn't quite the normal TSH range that some people use here. Also, Unlike recommendations from societies that include weight-based treatment of abnormal thyroid parameters, they just flat out gave everybody 50 micrograms. So there is a situation where potentially, even though this is a well-done study that showed no benefit, they weren't given the right treatment because if women needed more thyroid hormone to show an improvement, that would not have been detected if they just gave everybody 50 micrograms. 50 is a rather low dose. Just in comparison of my clinical practice, when I treat patients with weight-based dosing of Synthroid, most patients are falling in a level between 75 to 100 micrograms. What you can see is that prospective observational studies, such as cohort studies, reveal that there is an association or potentially one, because that's what cohort studies can reveal. However, this randomized controlled trial said there was no difference. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? but women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. 
In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No life shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. All studies have limitations, so you have to look at this through that prism and understand it's not perfect. That being said, it is important to understand that certainly, I think we all agree, abnormal thyroid parameters can impact reproductive outcomes and treatment with levothyroxine may improve that. What we have failed to clearly identify is which patient populations and at which cutoff values will be impacted the most. And that's something that your doctor will have to interpret this data and decide how to practice. When we look at IVF data specifically, there was a study published in 2013 in the American Journal of Reproductive Immunology by Fumarola that was a retrospective, so not even as good as a prospective study, meaning we looked at charts and looked backwards. This was 164 patients who underwent IVF. What we saw there was there was a significant difference in pregnancy rates in patients who had a TSH less than 2.5 versus those with one greater than 2.5. Also, there was a different pregnancy rate in patients who did not have antibodies versus those that did. Much smaller study, but in women with TSH of less than 2.5 in the study, the pregnancy rate was 22% versus 9% if TSH was higher than 2.5. And in those without antibodies, pregnancy rate 24% versus pregnancy rate of 0% in those with antibodies. Either way, that looks bad. A study by Kim in Fertility and Sterility in 2011, 64 asymptomatic patients with subclinical hypothyroidism, so that's that TSH 2.5 to 5 group, who were either treated with levothyroxine or not. There was no difference in number of eggs retrieved or the clinical pregnancy rate, but there was a difference in miscarriage and live birth rate. So in this study, those with subclinical hypothyroidism who were not treated had a miscarriage rate of 33% versus 0% in the treatment group and had a live birth rate of 25% versus 53% in the treatment group. Again, small study, 64 people is not big. However, this is suggesting that there might be a difference in reproductive outcomes for women who undergo IVF based on your thyroid status. Okay, but then there was a randomized control trial that was published in 2017 in JAMA. Okay, in this study, women who had normal thyroid function but had antibodies were evaluated to see if they had a different outcome with IVF. The study was done in China and had about 600 women. So in the intervention group, positive antibodies, normal TSH level, women got either 25 micrograms or 50 micrograms versus placebo or no treatment. What this study showed is that there were no differences in clinical pregnancy rates, miscarriage rates, or live birth. Limitations here include that the normal TSH range went all the way up to 4.78, so 0.5 to 4.78, so definitely included subclinical hypothyroidism. Also, the levothyroxine treatment or the T4 treatment was just given at a straight 25 or 50 microgram dose. It was stratified based on if your TSH was 2.5 or higher, but it was not weight-based for sure. Also, there was no placebo in the study. 
But still, this is definitely a bigger study that showed that treatment of thyroid autoimmunity in the presence of normal TSH did not impact IVF outcomes. So what we're seeing is prospective or retrospective studies may show something, but these randomized controlled trials afterwards are not following up with the exact same results, even though they're in bigger populations. So this brings me to the last point is that who should you screen? Who should you consider treating? How do you decide who to screen or not? The argument against screening is that it may cost more money to a society if you screen everybody. The argument for screening is that you could potentially have better outcomes. And we certainly know, and I didn't even go over, there are multiple well-proven infant outcomes from the New England Journal of Medicine in 1999 showing that hypothyroidism negatively impacts child's development. So if we look at treatment during pregnancy, not just on a miscarriage, pregnancy loss, IVF outcome study point of view, but also from an infant outcome, identifying women who will benefit from testing and treatment in order to have the healthiest child possible is really quite important. Even these different societies have different views on thyroid screening and what's appropriate or what is not, meaning the American College of OBGYN and ASRM and the American Thyroid Association and the Endocrine Society. They all feel a little bit different. But let's just think about some of the big societies, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Endocrine Society said, you should screen at preconception visit or new OB visit with either TSH or a risk factor evaluation. And if you have any risk factors, then you should check. Consider screening for thyroid peroxidase antibody of history of miscarriage or preterm birth. Now listen to this. These are the risk factors. Age 30 or over. History of hypothyroidism in the family. Enlarged thyroid. History of positive antibodies. Any symptom of thyroid dysfunction. Any autoimmune disease. Infertility. History of miscarriage. History of preterm birth. Okay, well, I don't know about you, but that's all of my patients. Obviously, infertility is on the list. Miscarriage is on the list. That is everybody. And it's saying if preconception, per the Endocrine Society, your TSH is higher than 2.5 micro IUs per liter, you should then begin treatment with weight-based dosing. So not just a little tiny dosing, but with weight-based dosing. And if your preconception with a positive TPO and a negative or your euthyroid, defined by them as a TSH of less than 2.5, you are at very high risk to become hypothyroidism in the pregnancy when suddenly you need 30% more thyroid hormone. Options include just treating, specifically in women with pregnancy loss or preterm birth, or serial screening of TSH when you're pregnant and at your trimester visits. ACOG, the American College of OBGYN, recommends screening just patients who are high risk, but it depends on how you define that. And then the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, or ASRM, says that it is reasonable and data supports testing TSH in infertile women who are attempting pregnancy. If your value is higher than 4, you should treat down to 2.5. But they wave on if it's worth treating between 2.5 and 4. They say you could either treat or just watch. They do agree that in the first trimester you should treat to get it less than 2.5 and that antibody testing is not recommended. However, if you had positive antibodies, you should treat to make sure your TSH is less than 2.5. So here's my summary and my take-home. Both subclinical thyroid disease and overt hypothyroidism appear that they can be harmful when it comes to reproductive outcomes. You should consider, if you're a provider, screening patients at a preconception visit or a new OB visit with TSH, especially if they have any risk factors. Remember, those include 
miscarriage, preterm birth, age over 30, family history, menstrual irregularity. I believe that the preconception time is very much like the first trimester, meaning I want to make sure that you are set up for first trimester success. So my goal in the preconception is to treat your TSH to be less than 2.5 and then repeat it when you're in the first trimester to see if we need to increase your dose. Again, every provider may feel different about this. Every doctor may feel different. You as a consumer need to advocate for yourself. What does that mean? Understanding your own history and your own risk factors. Understanding if your TSH has been checked or you've been screened for thyroid disease. Understanding why compliance to thyroid medication is important. And having an honest and open discussion with your doctor. I'm going to end by a quote from Fritz and Sparoff, which is the book for REIs. I trained in my fellowship under Mark Fritz. And so one quote from this book in the thyroid chapter. For all of these reasons, a strong case can be made for detecting and treating hypothyroidism in early pregnancy. Preconceptual screening is ideal with an establishment of a euthyroid state defined as a TSH not higher than 2.5 micro IUs per liter before pregnancy. This is all very complicated and confusing, but let me just summarize and try to bring it together. The two main things we're talking about checking when we're talking about screaming or other things is to think about looking at TSH, thyroid-stimulating hormone. That's the most common thing we're talking about when it comes to screening. And evidence does look like there's different outcomes with the higher the TSH level, meaning the more hypothyroid, worse pregnancy outcomes, and potentially associations with miscarriage and preterm birth. Therefore, everybody's recommending that you treat TSH levels to get them into the normal range. And many people are recommending that you don't just treat to the normal range, but to the low end of normal range, meaning that first trimester cutoff, less than 2.5. So the values between 2.5 and the upper limit of normal on your test are considered subclinical hypothyroidism. Especially in the infertility office, most of us are screening all patients and treating to a TSH less than 2.5 for optimal outcomes. Now, thyroid antibodies are a different scenario. These randomized controlled trials that are showing potentially no benefit with thyroid antibodies undergoing treatment are using low doses of levothyroxine, and they are looking at women with normal TSH values, whatever they're defining that as. Therefore, routine screening of thyroid antibodies in all women is not recommended. Now, some women may warrant checking thyroid antibodies, such as those with other autoimmune conditions, autoimmune conditions in your family and potentially recurrent pregnancy loss. What you do in the setting of positive thyroid antibodies and a normal TSH level is potentially consider treating or consider doing serial screening because the thought process there is if those antibodies are attacking the thyroid gland, at some point, the woman will become truly hypothyroid and then have adverse pregnancy outcomes. All right, friends, if you've made it this far, thanks for listening. Thyroid is such a heavy, meaty topic. It's hard to conceptualize, and there's so much data, and the studies are confusing out there. My take is if the treatment has low side effects and potentially huge benefits, I'm always a fan of that, and you're going to find that of me. Control what you can control. I appreciate you guys so much. As always, thank you, thank you, thank you. Send in topics you want to hear. I would love it if you would subscribe to that YouTube channel. Every subscription helps it rank higher, and I'm really trying to reach a different audience to help spread all of this education out there. Feel free to follow me on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, and thank you so much. <laughs>